listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? In each short conversation, I ask a writer a non-writing related question that lets you and me get to know them just a little bit better as a person. I'm an author myself, so I'm always looking for an excuse to ask the odd questions. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Alexia Gordon, award-winning author of the five-book Gethsemane Brown Mystery Series. Set in an Irish village, the series features a crime-solving classical musician sharing a cottage with a brilliant composer who's been dead for over two decades. Alexia herself lives a bit of a double life, or as she succinctly describes it on her website, physician by day, crime writer by night. Hey, Alexia, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. So Alexia, you're a prolific author. You also help other writers through your Cozy Corner podcast, plus your contributions to the Misdemeanors blog that you co-author with a few other mystery novelists. But I'd like to start our conversation by asking you about your day job. What made you want to be a physician? That's a desire that actually dates all the way back to probably the seventh grade. (laughs) And actually, I think I wanted to be a dentist before that. So probably as long as I can remember, I have been attracted to the mystery solving aspect of medicine. Symptoms are a lot like clues and Mm -hmm. making a diagnosis is a lot like solving a mystery. So the idea of puzzling out what thing is creating these symptoms in someone has always fascinated me. But I had actually transitioned from clinical care to the administrative side of medicine a few years back. That's actually what gave me the time to write a novel. I was with clinical care. You know, That was the 60 and 80 and 100 hour weeks with a schedule you didn't have much control over. So it didn't leave a whole lot of time to do other stuff. Whereas administrative medicine is a lot of paperwork, but the paperwork will be there in the morning when you come back for it for the most part. You know, I'm curious about something you wrote on your website, which was this. You wrote, I bounce around the country chasing day jobs. Can you explain what you meant by that? My parents are from the generation where, you know, you found one job, kept it for 20 or 30 years and retired. I'm Gen X. I'm that transition between what was before and, you know, what became the millennials where the downside is there's less security. The upside is there's more flexibility. Yeah. So, you know, when an opportunity came up, part of grabbing that opportunity usually means you have to relocate. Now, for most of my career, I've actually worked for the government. And one of the keys to getting promotions in the federal civil service is mobility. So if you're willing to move where the jobs are, it's much easier to climb through the civil service ranks. So I have kept my eye open for career opportunities, which meant that I've gone from South Carolina, where I did my residency, to Virginia, then to Alaska and Texas and Chicago, and now I'm in Rhode Island. So you know, where the, where the jobs go, I go. Do you feel like you acclimate, settle in pretty quickly? Because that's not a trait a lot of people have. Um, I do. Part of that comes from my choice to remain uh, single and child-free. So I don't have to worry about a spouse finding a job or kids finding schools or friends. It's, you know, pretty much me and right now a cat. I have had dogs in the past. 
the only adjustment is my adjustment. And I can always find something. I mean, I love to travel. Uh, so, you know, part of my moving around, it's travel combined with I'm also getting a paycheck, which makes it even better. Um, so I can always find something interesting in whatever place I go to. I view it as a chance to spend sort of an extended time in part of the country that I might not otherwise have gotten to see. And so I can go exploring and find all the wonderful things about wherever I happen to be living. When you travel and resettle, do you ever get lonely or is it an easy transition for you? I'm actually, it's pretty easy for me. I am an introvert and I live in my head a lot. So I've always been my own best company, um, even growing up. I'm also an only child. So solitude is something I actually relish. I tend not to get lonely. I'm actually more likely to feel overwhelmed by being around too many people. So I often seek out opportunities to not be around so many people. I really love this quote that you once shared which is wherever I land, I indulge my love of art, music, fine whiskeys, needlework, and ghost stories. So speaking of ghost stories, I want to get back to your series. How did you come up with this inspiration to include ghosts as significant characters in your books? Oh, my two inspirations for the series were Agatha Christie, especially Miss Marple, and the ghost of Mrs. Muir. I'm a fan of snarkiness and the ghost was kind of snarky. Um, So the writing the series was kind of my opportunity to take the two big influences on my literary taste and combine them into one thing. Well, it makes for such an engaging element in your books. And as you were just saying, your ghosts are really, to me, unique and fresh as characters. They're not your traditional dead people going around haunting, you know, others. And and they're so engaging. And as you said, even snarky. So related to that, though, also your main character, Gethsemane, she's one of a kind, too. She's African-American. She's a renowned classical musician. And she's an expat who finds herself unexpectedly living in the Irish countryside. So I wanted to ask you if you could talk about some of the decisions that went into creating your narrator. I've always grown up reading mysteries, mysteries and horror and sci-fi. But I almost never saw anybody who looked like me. I would always think that I could do this. Why can't an amateur detective who looks like me solve these crimes or confront this ghost or do whatever? So I wanted representation. Other decisions were I grew up surrounded by strong, independent women who had to be willing to stand up for themselves and fight for what they needed and what was right. So my other decision was to make my heroine, my protagonist, strong and independent. So I didn't go for the more delicate flower, yes. <laughs> um, you know, because you know, none of the women in my family have really had the luxury of being shy and retiring. I don't really relate to that, honestly. Uh, you know, women I know, they're definitely going to be dogged and persistent and say, hey, no, this isn't right. And I wanted that also to be reflected in my protagonist. This is one woman who does not give up. You know, she's the kind of character you're like, don't go in the basement. Or for her, it's more like, don't go in the tower. And yet, if it needs to be done, she goes into the tower. Are you like that? Are you someone who doesn't back down or give up? Um, I I tell myself that I am. (laughs) Um, You know, granted, I haven't had to um, solve any murders or anything. But if I meet a challenge, I try and solve the problem. 
people. So if you don't want someone to try and fix your problem, I'm probably not the person you want to tell it to um, <laughs> because I, I am more of the, the fix it type. I would love someone to solve my problems. So remind me to tell you about them because have Adam. I want to talk about something else you mentioned that you love to, in, quote, indulge in, and that's needlework and embroidery. And I wanted to know what's the backstory, how you came to love needlework. My mother uh, does needlework. She and dad worked at the same place. Um, they actually met at work uh, down in, in Virginia at the Naval Surface Warfare Center. So they were both civil servants. So I guess me being in the civil service is kind of me going into the family business. You know, we lived in Maryland. So that was like a 50 mile each way commute. So dad drove and mom would divide the time between reading a book, usually a mystery and doing some kind of needlework project. So I grew up surrounded by books and needlework and have always been fascinated by the beautiful things that traditionally has been mostly women who have done these things and which unfortunately has led to it often being dismissed right. as, you know, women's work, people say with a sneer, but it's truly it's beautiful art created with needle thread and fabric. Um, I also inherited some of my grandmother's and my great grandmother's quilts. And they were the kind that were, you know, truly just made out of scraps. You know, mom would say, hey, I remember the dress that that particular scrap came from. And, you know, just looking at the fine handiwork that was done on these things. And so it's always just been something I've grown up with. And so I, that's how I started doing it. You know, if mom's doing it, I got to do it too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as I get older, the more I appreciate it and the history behind it and the historical samples and the art of it. That's what I find appealing about it. That's beautiful. I once read a quote where you said, you don't agree with the philosophy that writers should write what they know. Can you talk a little bit about that and how it's guided some of your own editorial decisions? Yeah, because the other part of that quote was you should write what you're willing to learn about. Oh, yes, right. And if you only write what you know, that could be very limiting, you know, unless you've had some wild lifestyle or you've just had all kinds of different experiences. If you really stop to think about it, most of us probably don't know that much. <laughs> um, so if you only write about what you truly know, you would quickly run out of things to say. But if you write about what you're willing to learn about, that opens up a whole, uh, I was going to say a whole other world, but it doesn't have to be limited to the world. You know, think of science fiction writers. How many science fiction writers have truly lived on another planet? Probably none of them. Was that partly what informed you? You wanted to learn about what it was like to be a classical musician or to live in an Irish village or to cohabitate with ghosts? Well, some of my series is more wishful fulfillment because I wish I had musical talent. It was my way to vicariously do things, but then I had to learn about them in order to make it convincing in a book. Because, you know, me just writing about, hey, you know, gee, I'd love to be a professional violinist, but then I have to go find out what it's like to be a professional violinist. So that's where the learning about came in. So you know, the idea was, you know, well, what if this or gee, I'd love to do blank, although I probably can't honestly say I would love to live in a haunted house. I'm, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll be straight up about that. Yeah, no, because yeah, you actually, ever had a ghost encounter. I have not. I know people who 
have, and they're reliable people who are not given to flights of fancy, so I can't discount what they say, but none of them actually reported enjoying it, so it doesn't actually sound like something that would be fun. Yeah, well, I don't believe in ghosts, and I'm terrified of them, so go figure, but I know (laughs) if I ran into a ghost, I would hope, hope, hope it would be your type of ghost who are charming (laughs) and even good-looking and certainly talented, so let's hope if we have ghost encounters that they follow your mold. (laughs) <laughs> have you ever lived in Ireland? Speaking of writing fish out of water stories. Uh, my present to myself when my first book came out was a trip to the western half of Ireland. So I've been twice now. I would love to go back because it's a beautiful country. Lots and lots of green. Um, and actually some of the nicest people I've met. I mean, people who really you know went out of their way to be kind to strangers. And I highly recommend you put that on your, your bucket list. Well, I haven't been, but I feel like I was transported there through your series. So, you know, it was fun to be in that Irish village, though they seem to be full of poisoners. So I'd watch what I drink. (laughs) Yeah, watch what you drink and eat. Um, You know, don't don't walk too close to any cliffs or be careful when you step out in the road. (laughs) That's probably influenced by uh, Midsummer Murders. Oh, gosh, yes. What? 22 seasons, I think they're on now, but it's it's this very small county that has a really high per capita death rate, uh, which is kind of funny. Well, that's where we readers suspend our disbelief. Well, Alexia, I have one last question for you. If you wrote a six word memoir, what would it be? Looking at it now, it sounds like more of an epitaph. <laughs> I fought the good fight. Bye. Well, don't check out too soon. We need more books from you. Can you elaborate a little bit? I didn't give up no matter what people or the world or life threw at me, I kept going. If there's an obstacle, I went over it or around it or under it, but found my way past it and didn't always win, didn't always get things perfect, but at least I tried. I didn't quit. People might not like it, but oh well. I'm I'm like, I'm going to keep going. So again, consider yourself warned. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to say goodbye just yet, but I I will say thank you very much for being a guest on my show. It's just really a pleasure to get to know you a little bit more as a person. It's nice to, to talk to folks about all sorts of things beyond writing. So thank you. Listeners, to learn more about Alexia's books, her podcast, and what she's plotting next, check out her website, alexiagordon.net. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, joanybcole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.